to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Something happened to me this week that I want to run by you because I feel like what a person does when confronted with this decision, mm-hmm. I think, says a lot about them. Okay. So, just to paint you a picture, I live on a street with a bunch of like apartments and some single family homes and then some town homes too. Yeah. A, a pretty high density neighborhood for Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, like there's a garage underneath. And a and a gate that yeah, yeah. that you have to hit the code to like walk in and out of. And this is a, a pretty common setup for people who live in LA. So it's also not uncommon to find like packages outside the gate. But this is the first time I've ever seen food out there. Uh huh. Two pizza boxes and a bag on top, right near the gate. Huh. So I so I look at the little ticket. <laughs> and I see I see that it was uh, like the the order was within the hour, like. Order and delivery. Okay. But the name on the ticket isn't familiar to me. I know everyone who lives in the complex. Yeah. I'm like, who is this? Maybe it's a guest right. of, a, of someone who lives in the complex. So I leave it. I don't feel good about it, but I leave it outside the gate. I walk Sprocket back inside, mm-hmm. and, I, and I pitch this to my wife. <laughs> Every night, it's, a th- it's, it's the same struggle. What are we having for dinner? <laughs> pizza, free pizza from outside? <laughs> This is the pitch that I make. I'm like, look, uh, we don't know what our plan is. It's already like seven. There are two pizzas and a bag of more food outside the gate. What do you say? Oh, my God. My wife is the smarter of the two of us. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't think that's a good idea. It probably belongs to someone in the complex. And if it doesn't, do you want to eat stranger pizza? Yeah. The ball that I batted back at her was like, if we leave it out there, it's going to be trash. Either because someone throws it into the street as a prank or whatever, (laughs) or it's just going to go bad. It's going to go into the danger zone and then it's going to get cold and it's going to go into the garbage anyway. Here's what I picture. (laughs) I'm like, let's call the restaurant. Yeah. And, and let them know that we received a delivery that isn't ours. Oh. So this was this was the compromise we reached. She's like, "Fine, I don't want a project. You do it." <laughs> so I get these two pizza boxes and the bag of food on top, and I bring them inside. Can I Everything's ask you? Sealed. Okay, I was going to ask whether did they have that that tape that shows whether it's been tampered with? Yeah. So I bring it in the house. It's, it's in the house wow. and I and I and this is from a place that we haven't ordered pizza from before and it's got a phone number and so I call the number and I talk to a very nice person and explain to them what happened and she is flummoxed because this is Friday night yeah. at around seven o'clock. That's prime pizza hear- time. I'm hearing a person get slammed. <laughs> and she's like, I'm just gonna have you talk to the manager. I can't I can't. I can't even. Yeah. I'm on hold. For a real world five minutes, like I've committed to the idea of of connecting these dots. This is a this is a fun social project for me, because inside I'm like, there is someone out there missing their food and feeling sad and angry. Yeah, and hangry, mm. the, the worst kind of anger. 
And also there is a, there's a small business owner. I should make that clear. It's not a chain pizza I picked up. This is like a, a one-off restaurant's pizza that I found outside right. my place. So, uh, so I finally talked to the manager. She's super pleasant. And I was like, hey, you might have a sad customer out there who is missing this, this pile of pizza that I have. <laughs> and I just wanted to let you know. And she's like, oh, thank you so much for telling me. She explained to me how this works. When you are a pizza place and someone orders like through Uber Eats or something, yeah, it is actually very difficult for you as a restaurateur to make direct contact with your customer. Right. Because there's a membrane that is the delivery company that gets in between you. And, and Uber wants to own that relationship and it right. fucks the restaurant over because they, if, if there's something wrong the bad review goes to the restaurant. Exactly. So she's like, she explained the shitty situation she was in. And I was like, oh God, that sucks. She's like, yeah, there's really not a lot that I can do. Unfortunately, hopefully they can like contact me and like, I can try to make it right. But if you haven't tried us before, uh, we hope you like your, your surprise dinner. She put it like that. She's, she's like, enjoy the pies. Wow, that is such, a, that's such an ideal outcome for the Pranica version of this scheme. Yeah, I mean, it could have ended 10 horrible ways, but the way it ended up ending was two delicious pizzas, wow, a what? Caesar salad, and fresh meatballs. Hell yeah. Should I shout them out? Yeah, shout them out. So the place was called Stella Barra Pizzeria and Wine Bar, a place I'd never been before, a place near where you and I had lunch one day called Cha-Cha Chicken, which was fucking dynamite. That's a great chicken shack. This mystery pile of food ended up being a great meal. Wow. A great surprise meal. And it also presents the challenge, right? (laughs) Which is, what do you do with found food? Would you have done the same thing? Would you have left it outside your home just to be kicked into the street? I I just, I thought this was going to be thrown at a car or smashed into a windshield or or like a mess. I think it depends on where you live. The like arrangement of your home in Los Angeles is a pretty, like, lends itself to this specific thing. But I think that, crucially, you also did the legwork. You you checked in on the person that tried to get the food and made sure it was, uh, it was okay, you know? I think that, like, probably Uber Eats winds up paying for a replacement meal to go out, right? You hope, anyway. Like, I don't know a ton about it, but, like, we've turned down a couple of food delivery businesses as sponsors Mm -hmm. because the word is that they just take like a huge percentage of the money and they're kind of eating restaurants alive by you know presenting this convenient home delivery solution that you know they show you a portion of the fees that they're charging but they're charging you fees and they're charging fees to the restaurant basically yeah you really have to like be selective about that sort of thing and where possible just order directly from the restaurant which I'm one of these people. I don't like talking on the phone and, and placing an order and being put on hold and shit. Like, it's so much easier to, to use a website to... Yeah, that's why your wife's position on this was, like, so relatable to me, was, like, I, yeah. I can't imagine getting on the phone for this purpose, so... But I like a weird social project like that. Yeah, you love a weird social project like that. Yeah. <laughs> I felt a great amount of empathy for whoever it was that was missing a really great meal, but... Um, it sounds like they ordered well, too. Like... Yeah. I think yeah. that... 
Yeah, they altered the mushroom pizza too because the mushroom pizza was white and it was, they altered it to the red sauce. And oh, I was nice. like, this person has great taste. Strong like, move. I'd, I'd alter the red sauce. Yeah. Uh, I think ordering salad from a pizza place is often a fraught maneuver, but the Caesar is... Especially, especially my, here's, here's my number one move. Look up a Caesar salad recipe uh, on the internet and find the dressing part. Caesar salad dressing that you make at home is going to knock the shit out of anything that you buy in a bottle or get in a little plastic cup with a lid from a pizza restaurant. So you get their lettuce, their croutons, their Parmesan. You put your own dressing on that. It's going to be a good salad. Really great caesar dressing should clear your sinuses like chinese hot mustard yeah it should absolutely. be it should fucking blast you my my here's my caesar re, uh dressing recipe adam put a couple of cloves of garlic couple of anchovies squirt of good mayonnaise a couple of ropes of mayonnaise in there a couple of ropes of, of mayonnaise squeeze of half a lemon glug of olive oil a couple of dashes of worcestershire Salt pep, hit it with the stick blender in the jar that I that I put all that stuff in, and then just pour it into the salad. So good. Hot damn. I was looking at you during, and you didn't have to look up their recipe. <laughs> I got it up here. You had it in the dome. Yeah. Um, well, Adam, we've, we have wasted these people's time talking about pizza for a lot of this episode. Who knew? A pizza marin. With our remaining time... What do you say we get to uh, the matter at hand? It's the third episode of the first season of Star Trek Voyager. It's called Time and Again. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> and uh, it's a shift change for Tom Paris. <laughs> ben, he does that uh, that thing. He, he, he gives it a big stretch. Yeah. Uh, cracks his knuckles and is about to clock out. He makes sure to, to hit Harry Kim's station on his way, and he's like, you know, uh, those Delaney sisters of stellar cartography, what do you say you and I study the globes of the Delaney sisters? They come as a pair. The crossword clue is they study them and have them. and right. uh... <laughs> It is a very neat introduction to one of the long-term tensions on the show, I've got to believe. The uppermost tension is, what the hell, Janeway? What did you do to us? That's that's uh, A number one bullet point. <laughs> and then a few bullet points down is, do you hold on to or let go of your old life, given what you know to be the, the path ahead for you? You sort of uh, think about the phrase, what we left behind, and you're like, how did Deep Space Nine take hold of that one? Yeah. Because this yeah. this is a crew that left a lot behind, and basically Paris is like ready to horn dog his way through the entire ship, and Harry is thinking about his sweetie back home and how he can't he can't stray, even though he's not going to see her for seventy five years. He can't he can't let his eye wander. Paris has been living off of conjugal visits for. <laughs> <laughs> However long his his Starfleet prison sentence was, yeah, uh, he's got a blast. Yeah, he's got mayonnaise <laughs> to turn into Caesar salad, yeah. and those uh, the globes of the Delaney sisters would be a welcome <laughs> distraction for him. Except uh, Harry Kim, he's holding on. It's still too soon to let go of of his lady friend back home. I love when horny Star Trek and and chaste Star Trek lock horns like this. Because 
Paris is really giving like Shatner like horniness. Yeah. And yeah. Harry Kim is like, I don't know, data-like in his unwillingness to violate an, a a rule. And and he's not wrong, right? Like, they they live in Star Trek. They could find a fucking wormhole tomorrow, and then he'd feel terrible. He's like, yeah, like, me and Nancy Delaney did technically knock boots, but I had no reason to believe I would be seeing you this soon, so... Yeah, this seems to be like the Galaxy Hall Pass, right? <laughs> this situation. <laughs> yeah, they've got their 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 dequad license to bone. A pretty significant banger interrupts this conflict. We don't really get a resolution about whether or not Kim uh, is considering the Delaney sisters or not. And uh, what the censors indicate is that this was an unnaturally occurring explosion, a, a Praxis-like explosion <laughs> occurring in their vicinity. She's like, uh, after episode one, I would think we wouldn't have one of those for like at least several more episodes, but uh, episode three, okay, here we go. I like the, the rundown for any unexplained or unexpected situation is, hey, Neelix, know anything about this? Like, <laughs> do you know anyone who lives in this area? Yeah. Anyone known to be blowing shit up in this neighborhood? Uh, and Neelix does not know any fireworks enthusiasts uh, in this part of the galaxy. He is of no help in this moment. But Cass appears to maybe feel this in a way that would be useful. Yeah. She enters the bridge in her emotional Spider-Man costume. She got woken up out of bed. There's like a cut down to Kess in bed when this happened. And uh, yeah. yeah, her her Okampi senses are tingling. So this is like catnip to a Star Trek episode. What the hell happened is the question. Yeah. Guess we better take the ship to investigate. And they do. Yeah, there's an M-class planet in orbit of a red dwarf star. And they they haul the ship up to this planet and start scanning it and it's a real dump just wait till you see the pool whatever this explosion was like wiped it out there's no no life on the surface they uh it, it wasn't a warp capable species there's no satellites or anything like that but mm -hmm. they but when they scan they do see evidence of like pretty advanced like technology like there are aqueducts and and uh you know buildings and cities and stuff so they're like hey why don't we uh put together a little dustbuster club and uh go down and kick the tires on this planet every time they configure a dustbuster club leaving chakotay with the ship you gotta believe chakotay loves this yeah oh come on he's a heartbeat from being the captain of the ship. And this is our third episode. Every away team includes Captain Janeway in a yeah. way that goes completely uncommented on. I think that there is something, you know, the, we know the regs, right? We know when Picard wants to go on an away mission, Riker has feelings about it. Cluck, 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 number one. But we also know that this crew is a little bit ad hoc, a little bit thrown together, and that while... Chakotay and the rest of the bar sporting members of the crew are being treated more or less as co-equal members. There are certain things that that are being kind of skipped past in moments like this. And I wonder if that'll come to a head. I wonder if Chakotay will ever bring that up. Like, hey, Cap, I think uh, it's great that you want to get your hands dirty here, but 
if we're going to be going by the book in the way that you do in so many of the choices you make, I think you need to not be the first person on the away team list every time. Yeah. And, uh, and that could be an interesting conflict for these two characters. If you're adding volume to Captain Janeway's character development, this is the fastest way to do it. Get her out on missions, many missions in a row if you can, yeah. and, and get these reps. Early season TNG seemed to present the conflict of Captain Exo tension in terms of these away teams, but ultimately would place the tension of the conflict with the captain up on the ship, right? right? So Riker would go down and do his thing. Oh, something weird is down here. It's up to the captain to figure out. But these earlier Voyager episodes are like, the conflict stays with the away team and with the captain wherever they end up being. And I think that's a distinction here that's important when we're talking about comparing the two. Commander, you have the bridge. They beam down to a pretty sterile post-explosion environment, I would say, because for a world that was at one point populated by, I don't know, many, many people, there are no bodies here. It reminds me of like in elementary school people would tell you about neutron bombs that you can drop them on a city and they will like Mm -hmm. like evaporate all the people but leave all the structures in place yeah and it was like a cold war idea of how you could like take over territory by just getting rid of the people that are using it anybody not wearing two million sunblock is gonna have a real bad day get it it's kind of what this felt like but they're they're detecting the aftermath of of polaric energy here and this planet has been left with all of the organic material gone what they're describing kind of reminds me of the burn that they describe mm-hmm. in season three of discovery it's something that happened at the subspace level it uh, it it blew up in a way that is not conventional at all and there's some like historical precedent that they cite the polaric energy was being studied by the roms and the romulans had a a bad polaric energy disaster that caused, you know, the civilizations of the A-Quad to join a polaric test ban treaty. And so it's pretty clear that this is going to be a nuclear energy uh, metaphor episode. A civilization powered by polaric ion energy? A time bomb underneath every street. Paris is among the Dustbuster Club, and he's the first one to kind of feel this flash into... A previous time, a time where the planet's inhabitants are alive. Yeah, he turns to everyone and he's like, hey, did you guys hear those children laughing? And they're like, yikes, Tom, what the hell are you talking about? You guys hear children's voices, don't you? The children? You hear them, right? <laughs> Tuvok just uh, like like silently puts his phaser up to maximum and takes Tom Paris off of the game board. <laughs> that is strangely not the creepiest part of of his shifting he shifts into an environment where these aliens are all human this felt so tng in so many ways like it it both uses like ideas from tng because they're talking about like oh subspace is like all fucked up and messy on this planet and there's probably like icebergs of subspace Mm -hmm. moving around and so like don't don't move and that felt very much like the episode of tng where there there were like the bubbles that like caused matter to to disintegrate or whatever Mm -hmm. like stuff was falling through the floor 
you know, TNG would have, we've, we would have gone to the conference room and seen like a visual diagram that showed you like a way to think about it. And this can rely on you just, just having that. But, um, but also the TNG thing of like most of the aliens we meet are just indistinguishable from us and speak the same language as us. There is a really fun bit of practical effects work that I'm sure you noticed, which is when characters are shifting between uh, post-explosion time and pre-explosion time, the camera is at an ECU with a face and then it pulls back to reveal where they're at. Yeah. The one instance of this that I found uh, especially interesting was on Janeway's face where they use lighting. So they're very close in on Janeway's face and they just pop some practical lighting at her and then they widen the shot back out and it, and it reveals her location to be the pre-explosion yeah. version of the world. And that's such... I don't want to say it's easy, but like that is a technique that a normal can understand. Yeah. Like that's not an effect. That's that's something happening with lights and cameras. It's subtle. Like the other one that I really liked was Paris is standing in his in in the in the town square with the children playing and and commerce going about and a hand comes from out of screen and lands on his shoulder and he turns around and he's back in the gloomy cold post explosion yeah. and it's yeah. and it's Janeway's hand so like her hand presumably kind of reached into the fracture in subspace there in a way that's really cool like I, I I thought that this this transition was so well done. I think both of those are examples of horror movie techniques in an interesting way. Like horror movies play so well with those kind of transitions. Yeah. Having characters drag a frame through a location, that that instance with the hand. Like these are examples that I know we've seen dozens of times in horror movies. While they're down there, uh, we do cut back up to the ship at least once to check in on Kess, who has had a really emotional reaction to this explosion. And she's talking to Neelix about the fact that she is like feeling like real impacts about the death of this civilization. As if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror suddenly silenced just your imagination she's saying like you know there are these rumors that the okampa have mental abilities that have atrophied somewhat and i'm wondering if i'm like accessing some of that and neelix is really incredibly dismissive of that idea neelix is quick to blame the gumbo he made last night as <laughs> also disagreeing with him <laughs> i just went and used that tub I thought it was a, I mean, I thought it was a tub. It was actually a toilet. Uh, Ensign Kim runs a McLaughlin group if you want. in the aftermath with uh, Chakotay, Tuvok, and Torres, who have made it back from the away mission. Yeah. Who's been left behind are Janeway and Paris. And I got to tell you, man, Data was so much better at explaining shit like this than, <laughs> than this episode was. I get the general premise of the problem. But this episode dives deeply into the specifics of the mechanics of what happened and the problem they need to solve in such a way that it made it fairly inscrutable to me. How do you suggest we do that? The basics are that the shockwave from the explosion are dissipating all into the past as well as the future. Like, entropy has gone in reverse because of some subspace 
thing to do with this particular type of energy production. And it's confusing. And it's also weirdly similar to the problem that they had in the last episode, which was that time was kind of running in reverse and forward at the same time. And like, we talk about this all the time, like this episode order choice that they made is so weird. And I think that this episode is generally pretty strong and could be could happen at any point in the journey of the Starship Voyager. Like, the yeah. the point of it is that at the end, the conditions are the same as at the beginning, right. <laughs> you know? So, so why have this be episode three? Yeah, strange choice. We get a fun, like a fun field trip vibe is happening on the planet. Don't even think about it, Tom. Paris and Janeway are spotted by a little kid. Hey, calm down. Now, what's the problem? Two dollars. Yeah. And after having been spotted, realize that they need to change uniforms pretty quickly. So they they duck into a Play-Doh's closet type of store <laughs> and emerge wearing the baseball uniforms from the 1970s Houston Astros team. <laughs> this is a uh, late 90s, early 2000s amount of orange uh, yeah. as a part of the palette here. I thought it was pretty convenient that these aliens wear a shirt design that isn't like wildly dissimilar from a Starfleet <laughs> uniform. They still have the yokes over the shoulders and everything. So it was like... Even Paris looks like he's wearing a scant, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so they do blend in pretty quickly. Lucky that they speak the language. Lucky that they are among an unloafed alien species. They put it together pretty quickly that they have gone backward in time a little bit. And they they have a little bit of an argument about just what to do about these circumstances. Do they only look for a way out and back into their own time? Or do they warn these people about their impending doom? Yeah, because they found a clock and they realize that they're like one day ahead of the disaster. So the the impendingness of the doom is big. Paris looks down at his scant and he's like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to tell anyone that they're going to die wearing this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a prime directive issue as far as Janeway is concerned. And that's... Another another moment for Paris to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're in the fucking Delta Quadrant. <laughs> Paris finds uh, a power conduit at about shin level, which is very unfortunate because when he bends over to inspect this thing, uh, everyone behind him is getting a view of the full moon. <laughs> yeah, everything that comes out the bottom of that bodice is uh, is really yeah. crunched. Um, yeah. And they also, like, keep kind of running afoul of this little boy who is, like, completely onto them. I want my two dollars! Like, he got told to to go, like, fuck off and eat a confection bar earlier by a cop, but he he has not settled down at all. And This kid's going to be a problem. Yeah, and he, and he went and, like, tried to verify parts of their story. Like, there's this story about we're from Calto province and we came in on the continental transport. And he has he he has the passenger manifest of the Continental Transport, and he knows they weren't on it. Two dollars. He's throwing real young Sheldon vibes in a way that made me hate him almost immediately. <laughs> He's super hateable. <laughs> like uh, like maybe the explosion that killed everyone on this planet wasn't so bad. Yeah. People are quick to assume my extermination of the Hushnak was some sort of huge crime, but uh. Those people also forget that there were a couple of very hateable Hushnak 
among those I exterminated. It's a terrible snap judgment to assume that this genocide was just a crime full stop. There were <laughs> benefits to it. Those benefits being the death of many annoying child hooshnacks. <laughs> One of the highest degrees of difficulty in Star Trek, I feel like, isn't just the town square setup with the people going about their business. It seems to be the scene of people doing something collectively. And often that takes the form of a protest. Yeah. Because this scene of protest with these townspeople, it's tough, man. It's tough when you only have six people <laughs> to to evoke a feeling and they're wearing these Houston Astros uniforms yeah. and they're they're protesting a thing you don't quite understand contextually. Yeah, uh, it does not feel like the kind of protest that would get violent and for some reason the people involved in the protest want to hand pamphlets to the cops who are like pushing back on right. them with a billy club and it's like cops don't ever want more literature. Like... <laughs> The cops have enough literature. Yeah. These are not the guys that you can win over, you know? This is a lawful demonstration. We have a right to be here. And, and also, like, the, the idea that a fight breaks out in this protest where, Paris, like, Janeway takes a billy club to the forehead. Paris has to lay some Kirk chops on one of the cops. But then it just kind of breaks up peacefully after that. Like, it, it doesn't. It doesn't read true, you know? If your cop isn't wearing a helmet and is instead wearing just the pull-down flaps of a winter hat <laughs> that, co that cover your ears... But not the hat part, crucially. <laughs> I just don't understand the visual. There's, there's a lot of good, like, this is an alien society stuff in this episode. Like, when, when they read the clock and it's like, oh, there's, like, cycles and intervals and, and subdivisions or whatever... The idea that like they would have like a different set of words and and methods for reckoning time is great, and it doesn't feel plausible that in a in a society where there are some like authoritarian energy companies that are using a type of energy that is super dangerous, people feel free to show up and protest in this way, and. That's such a great point, Ben. The color of authoritarianism is black. Yeah. And I think the color palette is the hurdle I couldn't get over. The cops are just in like, it, they're in like UPS uniforms, basically. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Back on Voyager, uh, they're testing out the science that they're hoping to use to get Paris and Janeway back. And I don't know about you, Ben, but if I'm testing out my laser beam that opens up holes in space, I'd probably run this experiment somewhere far away from the warp core. This device uses the same polaric energy that destroyed the planet. They basically aim this laser at the warp core. Yeah, they seem to know what they're doing with it, though. And this this really like gave me warm and fuzzies for Jordi and Data, just like doing yeah. an experiment in that part it's like the same part of engineering where Jordy and Data would have been doing something and I almost feel like they did this for dramatic effect to demonstrate to Chakotay that this machine is gonna burn itself out because when when that rift that they're opening up like flashes and then sputters out it's like as a viewer you're like oh fuck is this going to be a problem for warp core stability or whatever 
and I feel like uh, if you know that the if if you know that the effects are contained to to where the rift is, you might show the acting captain the experiment where you where you show it to him to like really impress on him. This is a limited intervention. Right. Like we cannot count on this to like save the day or do the right thing like this is like we have 30 seconds it's dangerous it's scary mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is a long shot nice work another thing that's happening on the ship at this point is Tess is in six bay uh with neelix and the emh and she's getting her brain scanned and i really liked this moment because you know the Kess storyline here is it, it really feels like C story you know like she she is coming up and up to the bridge and expressing a concern at the beginning and a little bit like pushed aside or patted on the head and uh, she's really freaking out and I I like that the EMH is trying but really has no context to bring and also like expressing how at sea he is in a way like like he has he doesn't know who these people are who have come into his sixth bay why they're on the ship he doesn't know where they came from he has nothing to compare their medical readings to he doesn't right. know about the makewees and like i i love that this character of the emh is like lower decks basically at this point yeah it's really true i also think that there's a lot of truth in depicting a female character going to a doctor and not really like getting a satisfactory answer to her question. And I mean, I, I don't think that this show was like trying to explore that as an issue here, but like the truth of that is, is real. Like, like women's like pain and medical questions, like are not taken as seriously by medical professionals. Like, and there's like tons of data about it. And I think that like showing it in this way is at least authentic to, you know, modern life. I think that's giving the show a lot of credit, Ben. <laughs> Kess gets a little something out of the out of column B, though, because she gets permission to go on the subsequent away team after just asking Chakotay if she can. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, Chakotay? Like, really? You just met this lady. She may or may not be going through a medical problem, and now she's granted permission to go down on the next away team. So, all right. That's fine. <laughs> So the uh, at the end of the uh, the big eco protest on this planet, Janeway and Paris wind up back in the safe house or something of the eco terrorists that they are now friends with. I guess if you've been beaten by the cops on this planet, you've joined a group, a select yeah. group you've been that gets invited in. back to the home base. <laughs> These fucking guys, Ben. We got uh, we got Pinar and Niturla. Uh, the actor who plays Pinar is doing a perfect Lee Marvin voice. When was the last time you were in a power plant? Not since we left home. Yes, I was shot in the uh, in the ass. We're not spies. Yeah, he really is. He looks exactly like Huel Hauser, <laughs> but he, but his voice says Lee Marvin. Huel Hauser or a, a young Kevin Uxbridge. And Pinar and Niterla are power protesters, basically. They're the leaders of this thing, and they've got a lot of questions for yeah. Paris and Janeway. They think that they're, like, infiltrators, right? Like, they, right. That maybe the government or these energy companies sent you to 
to become sleeper agents in our cell. And if I was casting this, if I was like, okay, they're going to be, they're going to meet up with two guys that are the leaders of a group that is uh, doing like direct action against a sort of craven, power hungry energy company. What, what do I want that guy to look like? And it's like two dudes that your dad is trying to curry favor with at the office so that he can get the big promotion is not where I would have gone. They look like energy company guys. Right. <laughs> they look like the- they look like they work for Enron. <laughs> they look like they they may be best friends with Chris Brenner. You know, interface operations, net access, channel 90. Yeah. I think they went wrong with this casting choice. Like, I, I'm not saying that they should be, like, guys with white guy dreadlocks and fucking biodiesel Toyota pickup trucks or anything, but I just, like, don't make them look like suits. And these dudes look like suits. You have a choice, right, when you're, when you're constructing characters. You can either make them understood through dialogue or action. Yeah. Or through setting and visual. And what these guys get is just the barest minimum of descriptive dialogue to yeah. tell us who and what they are when you don't have to sacrifice time in the episode to to give them backstory, but making them look a certain way and having them occupy a certain kind of place would do that work. Yeah, this like mid-century modern fancy office that they are are. Yeah. are hunkering down in just doesn't it doesn't read as this guy gives a fuck about the environment right uh unfortunately for janeway and paris like the geiger counter that uh nitrula <laughs> has has indicated that they are just popping with this polaric energy which confirms their suspicion that they're that they're sleeper agents sent by the power company because the only type of person that would have this amount of polaric energy on them would be someone who works for the company. Not a great look. Their we're not spies line starts to really wear thin and, and gets especially thin when the brat kid shows up. He's been sniffing around the safe house. Look what I caught, sneaking around outside. Two dollars. He is able to, you know, share what he knows about them, which is that they've lied about where they're from and who they are. This is not great for 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 Janeway and Paris uh, if they are going to keep up the pretense of we need to follow the prime directive here. Pretty fun scene where Chakotay, Tuvok, Taurus, and Kes are on the planet surface, kind of digging through the rubble. Kes is having feelings adjacent to the ones Paris did. Like she's getting she's getting a vibe off of the place a living vibe yeah and it's it's a very like haunted house sort of feeling to things like kim finds a com badge in the debris which seems to indicate that janeway and paris were killed in the explosion yeah which introduces a uh, slippery form of of time paradox to the proceedings am i making any sense here yeah it's really scary for them that that they find this because it does seem like pretty definitive right like they found the remains of these two characters that they're looking for but because it's a time travel episode that is a little bit in question i really like the performance of jennifer lean in this episode she she is walking through these spaces kind of like a 
person on a reality TV show about ghost hunting. She's giving that, mm-hmm. like, John Edwards medium kind of energy where she's in contact with this other plane of existence almost. I think it's hard to do not cheesy, and she does it not cheesy. I've never seen it done not cheesy, you know? Yeah. Like, even in a fucking Spielberg movie, it's cheesy. And and she she kind of finds a way to do it where it it doesn't put me off and and also doesn't feel like it's making fun of people that that believe in that stuff you know she does a thing that that suggests a predictability to the rest of the episode that actually doesn't turn out that way like Kess uses her mind to communicate to Janeway except no one else in the room can hear it yeah but it's it's a thing that inspires Janeway to out herself as the captain of a starship and from the future and this is a fun scene where Paris is dragged along <laughs> in this in this change of course in a pretty fun way and you, like you think this is the moment where where the membrane between the time periods is going to dissolve and there's going to be a predictable way that this episode draws to a conclusion but this is actually a failed attempt yeah like they get escorted out of the interrogation room and then the away team starts messing around with laser beams and trying to make their communications work that way and and it's a failure because they're not in the room for the time that that experiment happens that subspace wedge does not work and uh and they can't get them back and i think that that's also really like playing nicely with those tng tropes like the doctor is isolated on the ship and people keep disappearing until she's all by herself and she has to know to jump through the portal at the right Mm -hmm. moment you know it feels so much like that and when they miss that opportunity it's like oh come on i've got to get that a good time so often has a downside doesn't it especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by seven customer support. 
Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Platinum. Get that roll, metal argument. I've got to get that platinum. Would not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Janeway is feeling her own type of regret here because she has put together that perhaps they are the cause of the explosion that destroyed this world. It's some real Carl's whole shit, <laughs> right? It's, it's a Harlan Ellison adjacent story. Like, are they the cause? What do they do now? Yeah. An interesting parallel conflict to this moment as as captain janeway is is feeling the feels of partial responsibility for a genocide think about it tom the away team is like well if if this first laser beam experiment failed what's what's the next place we can set this thing up because you can't do it twice in the same spot yeah and they're running out of like rifts there there are these like fractures in subspace that are are healing subspace is healing (laughs) (laughs) it's a smug ass twitter post is basically Uh what it is that they're up against (laughs) and they're like why don't we set this thing up to happen at at the location of the explosion like there was one explosion to rule them all on this planet let's wheel this thing over there and set it up thinking that that this will be the place that janeway and paris would convene yeah so their instincts end up being right because when Paynar and Niterla walk Janeway and Paris to the guards outside the power plant where they want to do their bit of business, the feeling gets very dark. Turla has a weapon trained on the boy. If shooting begins, he'll be the first victim. And I think a big reason for that, Ben, is how these weapons look. Yeah. The fact that they are dressed sort of in a recognizable way. And this science fiction program is showing us uh, firearms that look 
like conventional weapons involving a scene with a kid and in a scene where Paris gets shot. Yeah. It is a, a familiar kind of violence. Yeah, and at this point, I didn't know where the episode was going. Like, when when Paris is shot, I was like, fuck, like, are they going to have to, like, throw his arm over Janeway's shoulder and have her, mm-hmm. like, walk him through the the portal at some point or because like at, at after that they're kind of they kind of split up right like the i mean it's it makes sense right like they wrote these these people as a pre-warp civilization so maybe their technology level is basically like our current level but they have this weird one energy technology that they've figured out it makes sense that they aren't shooting beam weapons but like when Nyterla pulls out a desert eagle or something it's still like <laughs> a bracing visual yeah there's i feel like there's a lot of like james bond looking guns in this episode i really love the moment where they tell janeway like you gotta talk us past these the guards of the power plant if you're really the mole we suspect you to be you're gonna be able to get us inside and Janeway walks up to the to the guard and she's like, I'm a hostage. <laughs> Fuck with these people. Yeah. I am a hostage. These men are here to break into the plant. It's so good. It's like uh, the, the like leverage that she has over them is like so apparent to her and not apparent to them. You know, it's the same energy that she used in the pilot episode in making the quick decision to not take the caretaker up on a chance to go home and instead uh, save the Okampa or whatever. Yeah, like, it's very Kirk-like, right? It's that like, yeah. like it is a snap decision that is that is a bet on herself. Like, I know mm-hmm. that this is going to make it harder in the short term, but I'm going to, like, I kick so much ass. I know I, I will be able to solve the problem because I am starting to, like, change the rules of, of engagement here. Right. So Paris gets left outside having been shot in the gut. Yeah, being tended to by Latika, the boy reporter. We're all friends now, aren't we? Yeah. Two dogs. I'll be back for you. He's busy stuffing wadded up sheets of newspaper into the wound. (laughs) Yeah, they go in and she is solid snaking around inside this power plant uh, looking for them and and trying to stop whatever she imagines they're doing because her theory at this point is these guys are sabotaging the power plant and that must be the inciting incident that caused the explosion. But what she wants to do is get her phasers and tricorders back from them. They've left them in a bag on the floor. She steps out with the gat. Just hand that bag to me. Ready to, like, kill Pinar for for those things. And this is all happening in parallel, like, while the next day, uh, Bolana and Harry and Tuvok and Kess and Chakotay are in the same corridor at the power plant in the aftermath of the explosion, which is, like, the last place on the planet where these subspace rifts are taking place. And they're like, this is our last shot. This is clearly where the explosion originated it's the only place that there are rifts left over that we can take advantage of that we can shove this wedge into so like if we're gonna unfuck the timeline and get the captain and tom paris back we need to scan here and find their subspace signal and get the back like one thing i like about the earliness of this episode in the episode order is that this is a really new crew most of them are really green, you know, and and the ones that aren't green don't know the captain that well. Like Tuvok is the only character that really has like a, a history with the captain. 
and they are trying to imagine what would Janeway do if, and that, and they're really limited in, in how much they can extrapolate based on how they know her. Cause they just don't. Who the fuck is running the ship while Voyagers emptied their entire senior staff onto the surface, <laughs> surface of this planet? Is it Rollins? I think probably Neelix is in charge right now. I couldn't get out of my own head about <laughs> that. Like, everyone is on the planet's surface right now. Yeah. I mean, that's the nice thing about Chain of Command, though, right? Like, there's somebody yeah. that's that's got responsibility. It's a fun tension when when the portal gets opened up and its rim is inching closer to the power conduit and Janeway's like, holy shit, this is the cause of the whole thing. Like, I've got to shoot my phaser at the hole in order to get them to, to knock this shit off. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, like, that Mexican standoff quality in an action movie where, like, you don't know where to aim your weapon. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I need to aim it at Niturla and, the, and Pinar, but, I mean, <laughs> the actual enemy here is the portal. She's like, Pinar, I'm going to shoot my phaser at that hole. And he's like, well, why don't you just wipe? And she's like, no. Like, I know that this seems weird, but if you if you spray it, it's so much better than just wiping. What exactly do you think we are planning to do here? So she snatches one of the dustbusters, and, you know, it's a showdown. And, and I feel like so much of the time when a phaser is being p- pointed at an opposing energetic force, there's like a ball of energy that then explodes that uh, I, I mean, I admire the chutzpah, but like Janeway really trusted that that wasn't going to be the actual inciting incident was shooting a, an energy weapon at a, at a space butthole. <laughs> That's often the paradox in stories like this. That's why so often the plan when confronted with a paradox is do nothing. Yeah. Nothing, huh? But it works. And uh, yeah. boy, this is the kind of timeline unfuck i can really get behind it just like undoes the whole episode yeah i don't think you can do this more than once in an entire series of a show it cuts back to tom paris shooting mayonnaise into a caesar dressing that he's prepared for the delaney sisters (laughs) yeah but like like this is a level of deus ex machina where like not only isn't this is this not a problem anymore, but it's a problem that never happened and never will happen. Yeah. That I kind of admire the writers for doing this this early because you basically can't return to the well of the you can't return to the Deus Ex Machina well when you do it this early. I mean, this is sort of how yesterday's Enterprise ended, right? Right. Like, oh, that's interesting. It, there was evidence of a phenomenon here. Let's drop a bois. An emergency buoy. <laughs> and keep going on our way. Yeah. But that was not episode three, <laughs> crucially. And Kess is the one to underscore this. Yeah. By, by arriving on the bridge the way that she did in the opening scene. And uh, in a very seems, Guinan way, right? Yeah, th- I love, like, the low-key, the shade that they throw at this planet. Cass is like, hey, is everything all right on that planet? And they scan it, and they're like, they're warp poor, so they're actually beneath our interest <laughs> in going and, and checking up on. Like, we can show you the magnification of their planet, 
Yeah. And uh, and hopefully that'll be proof enough that they're okay. I was a little distracted when I watched the scene the first time and I was like, oh, it's so, it's so unfortunate that they're being so condescending to Kes in this moment. And then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, no, they're not being condescending to Kes. They're being condescending to an entire civilization. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. It did. I think that my stated complaint is is the episode order issue, but overall, a fun Star Trek episode, and I enjoyed watching it. And I think that if you're going to do time travel, this is this is the way you've got to do it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because I get so angry when it's as easy as you got to kill this one guy and then everything's fine or whatever. I've never seen you angrier than when you're confronted with science fiction that does that. Like the TOS... Just explosively angry. The, the Harlan Ellison episode we were talking about, I can forgive that because it like predates chaos theory, you know? Like the idea uh-huh. that small changes in a system ramify out and make massive differences just like wasn't really on people's radar in the 60s in the way that it is now and i think that if you're doing time travel now the way out is not we stepped on this one guy's toe at the right moment and it fixed it yeah so the the deus ex machina the it it all didn't even happen really ness of it uh Mm -hmm. actually really worked for me and i really liked the 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 way they took this and it surprised me It, it was a delightful conclusion i liked those aspects of it too the part that didn't work for me was that Kess seems to be experiencing the show in a serialized kind of way where the show isn't. The show is still doing Planet of the Week mm-hmm. while she is going through a thing that is giving us very little to hold on to. If they're suggesting that she has powers that are supernatural, then uh, I think I could use 10% more of that per episode than what we're getting. Yeah. Because she's not giving Chakotay enough information to put her on an away team is the problem. Like, <laughs> right. the, the, the context that the show is using to make her an instrument of its storytelling is insufficient, you know? Yeah. I'm not just saying that personally, like, I would like to know more about her. I'm saying it doesn't make any sense how she's being used if that's really the case. I wonder if that's, like because this is a 20-something episodes a season show and not a 13 episodes a season show, like our, our like contemporary TV watching brains are so different from what the producers and writers could expect of their audience in 1994 or whenever this came out. Right, right. But yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages in the inbox? I mean, hopefully they were written for the correct time period. That's all I can say. Mm, Fingers crossed. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from past Steven, and it's to future Steven. This is great, right? (laughs) This is perfect for a time travel episode. Yeah, I love it. Message goes like this. You are doing a great job. A full-time job while pandemically press-ganged into teaching your son kindergarten. Wow. 
being a single parent is harder than Murphy Brown made it look, but you're doing it, bud. <laughs> Hell yeah. Alive and able to throw scarves to a podcast that's kept you sane through shitful times. You'll always be a better father than Worf. <laughs> Kapla. Way to set yourself a low bar at the end there, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steven, I think you're. I think you're doing much, much, much better than Worf. Yeah, I don't know. Was Murphy Brown a good mom? I did, I uh, I barely remember that show. I think Murphy Brown was one of the first shows that presented the idea of a single mom in a non pathological way. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Stephen, that the pandemic has been really hard for parents of young children in particular, and. Uh, you have my admiration for getting through it with your kindergartner. So uh, good for you, man. Yeah, jeez. Uh, our next priority one message is from your past self, a Max Fun member, because of Greatest Gen, and it's to my future self. How often does this happen? That it's two time travel messages. Wow. Uh, it goes like this: Future self, 2020 has been a thing, but. A highlight is you and the snark have finished all the TNG episodes and back catalog pods. You were drawn in by the Shimodas, then stayed for the Kern Voice, McLaughlin Group, and Honest Vetoes. Now that you've started DS9, someday you'll hear this P1 and laugh. Ben and Adam, thanks for the great pod. <laughs> At this, uh, the past self in question here asked for this to air before the end of the DS9 run, but uh, the past self uh, arranged this P1 uh, recently enough that we're, we were all booked up. I'm glad the past self referred to the vetoes as honest vetoes, because that's what they were. They were honest. Everyone. We don't lie. We don't game the system. No. We're here to make each other laugh and be honest with each other. That's the greatest gen promise. <laughs> well... Th- Thanks to all you time travelers. Yeah, if you uh, if you aren't too busy traveling through time and want to support the greatest generation, a great way to do it is by going to maximumfund.org/jumbotron, uh, where priority one messages go a long way in supporting the production of our show. Sure do. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Uh, yeah, I mean it's Tom Paris to me. He's the one. Who comes pretty close to killing a kid. <laughs> he, he's the one wearing a scant. Mm. He's the one that gets shot. I think he accomplishes a lot in this episode. <laughs> he doesn't solve the essential mystery of it. I feel bad that he's sidelined during the climax. That's yeah. not good. But, uh, but he bookends the episode and he has a great adventure during. Uh, I, think, I think I'm going to pick Tom Paris. What about you? I thought it was amazing how much of his monologue to Kim they kept in the end right like they they didn't trim that down in the way that often happens when you're seeing the same scene for a second time do you think Robert Duncan McNeil is second billing on the show at this point like I think you got to make the case that he is yeah I think he's kind of the sec the the secondary star to Kate Mulgrew yeah yeah my Shimoda is Latika boy reporter uh, he just felt like the chaos agent. And the thing that I, th- I think that reminded me of Jim Shimoda the most in him was the disregard for his own safety to, like, go do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. 
And, uh, you know, Shimoda famously just, I mean, he was drunk at the time, so he could be forgiven, but, you know, did not consider what throwing his lot in with Wesley mm-hmm. Crusher might mean. And, uh, and I think that Latika had lots of opportunities to be like, ah, let them go about their business. Who cares about these people? And, uh, and made himself a chaos agent, made himself a part of the story by just insisting on getting to the bottom of what was going on with them. So, drunk Shimoda move, Latika. That kid should be in school or something. Yeah. What the hell is going on on that planet? What a dork. It's one of those rare planets where you don't know what it's called or, like, what the race of the aliens are or anything. No, none of it. And we'll, we never will find out about them because they're a pre-warp. They're a one-off. Just normal-looking people wearing <laughs> Houston Astros uniforms. <laughs> it's great. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Well, we got to figure out if we're going to do a normal Greatest Gen episode next time around. For that, I'm going to go to the Game of Buttholes. Will of the Caretaker. While I tell you about Season 1, Episode 4. Fage. Neelix faces... <laughs> Wait, what's it called? <laughs> Phage. Phage. Yeah. Phage? Phage. Like P-H-A-G-E? Yeah, you got it. Phage. (laughs) Neelix faces certain death when an alien race stricken by a devastating plague, quote, harvests his lungs. Oh, RSVP Neelix. (laughs) Gone too soon. I could tell by looking at him, just being around him at all that uh, he was not long for this show. (laughs) So I get it. Yeah. Well, Ben, I'm over at the Game of Buttholes game board where currently our runabout is on square 25. A couple squares ahead, we've got a Naked Now episode. Oh, boy. An episode done Neelix style from the bathtub. Uh, (laughs) the, The worst possible kind of episode we can do, and I am personally hoping... That I do not roll the three. You really hated that, but I kind of, th- I think I kind of thought it was a great, a great hang. Too hot and then too cold is what that episode was. <laughs> if we could do a twenty-minute episode, that that'd be fine. But but we haven't over done an that hour, for years. <laughs> yeah. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, Ben. I've got the die in my hand. I'm going to give it a roll. And I have rolled a six. That is a big roll for me. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Puts us on square 31, which makes the next episode in the series a regular old episode for us. Okay. Well, I am looking forward to it. An episode done the old school way. (laughs) Um, All right, man. Well, uh, I hope uh, folks that enjoyed this episode are supporters of the show. And if they're not and would like to be, they can head to MaximumFun.org slash join. Other ways you can support the show that don't cost money include uh, giving us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or just recommending us to a friend. We've got a number of places where Friends of DeSoto gather. This is true. We've got the Facebook group filled with the best of Facebook. The rest of Facebook. Dead to us. The worst. We we don't even think of them at all, but Friends of DeSoto have, have... walled off an enclave there more than one enclave right there's like the 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 greatest exo cooks and there's the femmes of desoto and there's the the 
mainline. I mean, there's there's Jim Shimoda. There's so many great groups on Facebook. Right. None of them started by us, and that's that's really like emblematic of of everything about the Friends of DeSoto. Like we didn't set up this great fan community. Uh, the the fan community set itself up, and it's and it's a place where they've made friends with each other. They've made relationships with each other. They've made marriages with each other. Yeah. Uh, it's not just on Facebook. They are also on the Discord at uh, trunkshimoda.com. They also gather on Twitter, where they. Uh, Enjoy the work of our social media manager, Bill Tilly. That account is at Greatest Trek. Uh, Bill Tilly also runs the Instagram account yeah. of the same name. You can uh, join the Reddit sub. You can check out the Wikia. There's a uh, an extensive Wikia about the Greatest Generation. Uh, really fun to read through all of the origins of the jokes and uh, and all that stuff. It's amazing. I can't believe that it all exists. I, it, it blows me away every time I look at it. It's one of the great things about the show, uh, along with its great music created by the awesome Adam Ragusea, who's made the theme song and interstitial music for the show for years and years, and also has a great YouTube channel. The hit cooking episodes that he creates are some of the best that YouTube has. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that uh, is harvesting a lot more than lungs. Going for, like, kidneys, spleens, selling all that stuff on the open market. Would you eat Neelix? I sure would. If you were going to eat a part of Neelix, what part would you eat? Well, I definitely want to shave him first. (laughs) I wouldn't want any of that hair on my plate. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, it looks nasty. Probably give him a good bath first. He would enjoy that. That That would be ample payment to be eaten. That's probably how I would cook him. I'd just turn up the heat in the bathtub. (laughs) Cook him in his own juices. That's no bathtub, Adam. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.